Turning your Bibles there to Romans 4, you see the outline, the breakdown. Um, so verses 1 through 8, faith justifies you. 9 through 12, faith changes you. And 13 through 25, so the last part is faith sustains you. That's what we're looking at today. Um, and so reflecting on his life, and since this is, you know, Reformation Day was the October 31st, um, Martin Luther was reflecting on his life and he said, I was a good monk. I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I might say, that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven, heaven by his monkery, it was, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. Right, so because as a monk, there are certain things you have to do. You know, this was he wasn't part of the in order to be quiet. You know, but some monks take the vow of silence, some take the vow of chastity, or all take the vow of chastity, but some take the vow of poverty, so they don't really have anything. They live a very uh, austere life. They kind of have a a room with a bed, and that's pretty much it in the Bible. But Luther realized as he was going through his monastic life, that he could not work himself into heaven. And Luther also realized, and this is where, this is where things start to change, is because Luther realized, as one biographer tells us, that, that he could not satisfy God at any point. Right? And so he was so distraught with that idea that he went to confession daily. And at one point, and I think this happened several times, that he was in confession for six hours. He was just confessing everything that came across his mind or whatever to just say, I am terrible, this is why, right? I'm terrible, this is why. I sinned, this is why. And at one point, the guy who was, it was sort of his mentor, he was in the, the booth on the other side. He told him, he's like, unless you have something important, like, don't come back. Almost like, unless you kill somebody, don't come back until you have some real sins to confess to me. Right, but that's what. But Martin Luther looked at everything as a sin. He was doing all these sinful things. But all of a sudden, he starts realizing that he knew that earning or trying, even attempting to earn your way into heaven, was a useless task. And we see that same thing that Paul is writing to the to the Romans here to this church at Rome. It's the same thing. He's writing them, telling the Jews. And anybody who was sort of swept up by what the Jews were teaching them, it's the same thing. This is, this is fruitless. You don't have to work your way into heaven. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, but there's no, you're not earning points to get into heaven where you're better than somebody else or you pass the test. So you get 100, so you get in. Right? That, that's, that's not what is going on here for our entrance into heaven. Right, And so... Paul is writing to, this, to these people who feel the same way, or he's trying to make sure people don't become so guilt-ridden that they want to leave the faith because it's all about rules. It's all about just this and that. And they lose sight of what it's about because it's about Jesus. It's about putting your trust, your faith, your belief in Jesus. Because one group is saying that they have to follow the law, and they're saved by it. But Paul's saying, no, you are justified because God does it. Right? You're made righteous because God makes you righteous. He gives this righteousness to you. And so, Paul is going to bring in Abraham as the chief example of humans, for the Jews especially, say, look, our forefather, we're going to read in a second, right? the guy that we, the Jews all look up to, he believed before he was under the law. 
before he was circumcised. We're going to see that in a second. So he brings in here Abraham, who's the father of the Hebrews, the father of many nations, into this conversation to show that justification by faith has been in effect the entire time. So again, that's why we went through Genesis first, and now we're going to Romans, because we have to understand Abraham. And, you know, and, and a lot of times, if you're raised in church, you do hear a lot about Abraham, but not to the level that the Jews, especially at this time in the first century, would have been hearing about Abraham. So we have to good, have a good understanding of who Abraham is and what he did, what he means to the Jewish the Israelites. And so let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then as we go through, we'll, we'll hit the rest of it. So Paul says, and he's continuing on this argument from chapter 3, right? This is all... If you could erase or hide all your, all your chapter numberings, like you could just read this one giant like paragraph or a bunch of paragraphs. But he says, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Right, when we work, if we're, you know, everybody in here has had a job, but we work, we expect a payment. That's the deal. You go to the work, you go to the coal mine, you bring them coal, they pay you $2. Right? Then you've got to pay the company store. To get everything else you need, right? That's, that's, that's how that works, right? But we expect a paycheck for what we're doing. We're not just doing this under the goodness of our heart. And so here's the thing is, is here's our main idea is that God provides the faith to justify you. Whether you work or not, you get justified by God's faith and your faith, your trust, and your belief in God. And it sounds crazy, it sounds horrible, because that's not the way the world works, right? That's what we think, this justice, that's not, it's injustice, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, we see this first point, these first eight verses, faith is going to justify you. Faith justifies you. And so Paul jumps right into this, the most important thing, and it's, if he's not the most important person, he's one of probably the top two or three people, you know, Abraham, Moses, and David are probably the most three important people in in. Israelite history. And so he calls him our forefather in flesh, and so he establishes this link. He's like, look, you guys are related. We are all related to Abraham as, as Jews. But it's not just a link like that, but he's also the template to follow. He is the one person, one of the people that you want to be like. You want to raise your kids like Abraham. And so he... Paul uses Abraham to prove his point that this idea that God is the justifier has been around the whole time. This isn't something new with Jesus. Because when we went through Abraham's story, he messed up a whole lot. And if he was our employee, we'd be like, we're not getting paid because you messed it up. You, In fact, you owe me money for, for messing up the widgets that you broke. But God has a different story. And so verse 3 is the key here because Paul quotes Genesis here and says that Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteous. So God was not paying Abraham for his due for righteous deeds. He didn't say, well, if you follow me to this place, I will pay you this. Right? I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, Abraham, if you do these things. 
But he reckoned his faith as if it were righteousness. And so Paul's highlighting this term reckoning in some of the versions. He uses it 11 times in this chapter. Paul's claim that God acquits or makes right the ungodly is deliberately provocative. Because again, like I said earlier, it sounds like it's injustice. Like, well, Abraham was so terrible, why does he get to, why does he get to be in? Right? Because we hear this all the time. Why does that person get into heaven and I'm a good person and I don't get into heaven? What are you telling me? Well, this person believes and you don't. Because that's the standard. He trusts. He, he or she has faith. You just are trying to get in by your works. That's your standard. And it, doesn't, it fails the test every single time. And so Paul explains again, if you work, you expect pay. You don't get a gift. The, the boss isn't just giving you a bonus just because. Because that's something you are owed. Again, when you sign the contract to work somewhere, I'm working here at this store, you're going to pay me so much an hour, or so much a year, depending on how it is, that's it. It's, it's a deal. It's quid pro quo. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you land and kids, before Abraham had ever done anything. Right? He said that. That's what he told him. I'm going to make you the father of the nations. I'm going to give you this promised land. Abraham's like, sweet, I didn't even do anything. I wasn't even looking for a job. And again, if Abraham, if anything, he was doing things that would have gotten him fired. But God credits Abraham's account. So Baptist theologian Benjamin Keach, in a sermon on Romans 4, he says, A man can be perfectly obedient, yet he could not be justified. Because the justification is given and not earned. Right, the justification is the gift. And so we go back to Romans 3, verses 22 through 25. It says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction right, between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely. That means you didn't do anything. God presented him as, a, as the mercy seat by his blood. So we're talking about Jesus. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. We are justified by God. We cannot justify ourselves no matter how much we want to complain to the judge and make our case. We can't convince him of it. Like, I was good. Even when we break the law, we have to pay a fine, right? It doesn't erase the fact that the law was broken. It just gives you a consequence for your actions, right? If you get caught speeding, you pay the fine. And that's justice, and that's where we get this idea. So that's where it kind of skews everything. And this comes from the idea that the Romans, the Catholics had at the time, was from the Latin term justificare. And so R.C. Sproul helps us out. He explains that justificare comes from the Roman judicial system. And it's made up the word of justice, or justice, which is justice or righteousness, and the verb facare, which means to make, right? So you're making somebody righteous. And so the Latin fathers understood the doctrine of justification is what happens when God, through the sacraments of the church and elsewhere, make unrighteous people righteous. So you do things and you're made Righteous because you do things. But Paul wrote and spoke in Greek. So there's different words. And so Martin Luther read the Bible when he read the Bible in Greek because there wasn't a lot of Greek Bibles around. So right around the time of Luther, this is part of the Reformation history that propelled it a lot faster, was 
people started reading and translating in the original languages because they had started being able to find them and get them and everything else. So instead of Latin, so in, in the Greek, there's a word called dikaios. Right? And it didn't mean to make righteous, but rather to, listen, to regard as righteous or to count as righteous. So you weren't made, but you were declared righteous. And so this is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, at this, at this moment, there was an awakening for Luther. He said, you mean here Paul is not talking about the righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to the people who don't have righteousness of their own. Right? He's giving out things that he, you know, God is giving out these things to the people. He didn't say, you made it, so I'm paying you. He said, I'm giving this, so you have it. And so Luther Paul's, follows Paul's logic as Paul brings in the Psalms of David and says in verse 6 and 7 and 8, he says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing the one, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Right? God has forgiven your lawless deeds. He's forgiven my lawless deeds. He has erased your transgressions. He does not hold them over your head or bring them up when it's convenient for him to win an argument. When you're, like, when you're standing in the gates of heaven and, and you're like, oh, remember you thought you were cool? Well, you're not. You did all these bad things. He says, no. You have the blood of Christ. You are taken care of. There is nothing in your book. Right? You don't have any bad things on your, on your ledger. There is no ledger at all. You are saved. You are taken care of. You are in. You're part of the family. And that idea, right, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? That is the good news. That you don't have a record trailing behind you when you become a Christian. After you, after you are converted, you don't have this record, right? And as you watch police shows, what's the first thing they do when they arrest somebody? They pull the record, right? He has a rap sheet a mile long of this, that, and the other, right? That's the whole thing. Like, oh, this guy's trouble. We just arrested Freddie. Freddie's a troublemaker his whole life. So go figure that's usually an indication that he didn't do it because they're just trying to misdirect you. God doesn't say, oh, you have a rap sheet. Sorry, too bad. Come back later. He says, no, you're a new creation of my son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen, right? Amen. That is good news. This is because after you get justified, after you become saved, this faith that you have, that you've been given, changes you to someone and something better. And so verses 9 and 12, it says, verse, Paul goes back to the argument and says, well, it was all of this happening just for, the, just for the circumcised, just for the Jews? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. And so Paul is making the case on behalf of the Gentiles because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. They were his people. They were, they were his people that he was basically going around teaching to bring them into the church. He also knew that this church in particular and other churches around the area that he had been to, they had now contained all kinds of people who were now accepting Christ as their Lord. They understood who Jesus was. They, they, they accepted the good news. Right? That Jesus died and rose again for them. And so when we go through Genesis, right, we saw how Abraham changes through his life. He stopped making silly mistakes for the most part. We see him kind of go up and down, but all of a sudden he sort of levels out. It's like, you get it. Yeah, change is taking place. 
Because that's what happens to us too. We just don't have the ability a lot of times to look backwards. So sometimes other people have to tell us. It's the same thing. Or we need to be reminded, God reminds us that you used to be this way and now you're this way because you've grown, you've changed. Because we grow in our relationship with God just like Abraham did. And so going back to Luther, as R.C. Sproul was saying, he said, Whoa, you mean the righteousness by which I will be saved is not mine? Right? Because, again, we haven't done that. We, we didn't do anything. He called it the justitia alineum, right? So alien righteousness. An alien, a righteousness that belongs properly to somebody else. It's something that exists outside of us, right? Extra nos. And that is the righteousness of Christ. And so when we have that, when we realize that we didn't do anything, but yet somebody gave it to us, all of a sudden, just like Luther says, he says, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. He went from going to, to, to confess his sins, going to confession for hours on end, to all of a sudden walking through and having this whole thing changed for him. Saying, I am free. So what are some possible changes that take place when the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you? And again, this is why this is kind of called part one and chapter five is part two because we're going to see more of these ideas pulled out in chapter five. But here's what a, a little bit of a prelude here. So one, God changes your heart. So Luther studied and studied and went to confession because his heart was not right. He knew something was wrong. He thought he was dirty. He was just a sinner. He couldn't understand it. He knew that the Catholic teachings were not correct, but he had to find out why. He didn't understand it necessarily what was going on. But again, some of that was because of the differences of language between Greek and Latin, right? And the teaching that came from it. But, but God led the monk to the answers from his own word, right? He pointed to all these things out to Martin Luther as he was reading and reading and reading. So he had this change of his heart. And, and so he wouldn't look there if he was not compelled by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we know when we're not living as we should be, we kind of are, are, when things are off, sometimes it's hard to tell, but, but we know things are off when they are, right? It's just kind of, we're not settled. We're not, we're not 100% right, right? There's just a lot of times there's little things. And we may not know what the standard is a lot of times, especially if we're getting close to that point of salvation or that conversion point. We may not even know about God, but, but we know that there's something going on. We know that there's something not right. And so when we are converted, all of a sudden, things get right, right? Everything just kind of falls back into place. You're like, oh, I get it. This is how it's supposed to be. This is it's not necessarily easier, but things are smoother a lot of times, we'll say. Because if you're living in God's will, again, it's not, a, it's not easier by any means, but it's sometimes a lot smoother to do so. Things kind of fall into place. Right? We all have our testimony. We could all probably pull out things like that. Like, yeah, I was upset. Things were going wrong. I got saved, as we call it. And all of a sudden, things kind of started going right. Because we are led by our new heart, which begins to change our mind. So the number, point number two is that God changes your mind. Right? The Bible tells us of the infinite God who exists outside of time. He created the universe, which includes everything in it. Right, so that's a lot. It has talking donkeys. It has doc talking serpents. The dead come back to life. The sun standing still. Heroes, enemies. It sounds like a fantastical tale. 
that people just tell for numerous reasons. It is a lot to wrap your mind around. And when you throw in the Trinity, you throw in grace, faith, salvation, God coming down into His universe, to our world, to rescue His people, time and time again, when we don't deserve it, it doesn't make sense. Now there's plenty of people who are skeptics, who are non-believers, who, and if we were, when you were a non-believer, at some point you probably didn't, you wanted to pick apart the Bible and say, well this just seems totally crazy. There's no way this could be true. But the more and more you read stuff, the more and more it makes sense. Even archaeology starts pulling things apart and saying, yeah, this is true, this is right. Just from a historical standpoint. Right? Because the entire Bible is a story that Israel exists because of faith alone. God could have destroyed Israel several times, but God kept them because He was faithful, because He has a covenant with them. God's covenant blessed Israel before they were even in the covenant. He was making the people because he already had the covenant in mind. And so when we have a new mind, we understand that these things are possible, all these things that happen, particularly God being, Jesus being raised from the dead, it doesn't seem so impossible because you believe. And it's not just because we wish and we hope it's true, but we know it's true. And so our mind begins to think on the things of God because we should serve somebody bigger than ourselves. And so we can't make things appear out of nowhere, but God has, God can. Because if not, we're just following some other person who has a little bit more money or, or ability than we do, but there's no point in worshiping him or her. Because God is the creator of everything. He has the power. He is able to do all of these things that he says because he makes these promises and they will come true. So we think on things of God. We think of others because we love God and we love our neighbors. We love our spouses and our children and our parents. We even love our enemies. Which doesn't make sense. And our world has been shaped by 2,000 years of Christianity. So everything, that all that good stuff is now the expectation. But it wasn't always so. When Paul was writing these letters, this was not, that was not the thing to do. It was kill your enemies. If your spouses are, if your spouses don't aren't doing what you want, get rid of them or kill them. If you, you know, if you want to read that stuff, read, just do any research in the Roman history of all the of all the emperors and how crazy it was, and that was going on at this time when we're, we're we're listening and reading this stuff, right? So those were not ideas. Same thing with children and parents. Your your kids were deformed. Your kids were whatever. Get rid of them. Your parents were too old. Get rid of them. There was no respect. That's why the Jews were different. The Israelites were different. Because this stuff was already part of the Ten Commandments for thousands of years. Right? Again, the world agrees with some of those good things, but they don't agree with everything. But we are to renew our minds, just like Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is good, what is pleasing, what is the perfect will of God. Now, your mind shifts to what God wants and not what you want. And with that, God, this, the third thing is that God changes your relationships. So here, in this church, the Roman, the Roman church, Paul is telling the Jews to get along with the Gentiles, which is kind of unheard of. In another letter, in the letter to Philemon, Paul tells Philemon to welcome back an escaped slave Onesimus. And Paul tells him in, in 
uh, Philemon 1, verses 15 and 16, for perhaps this is why we were, we, he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly beloved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. So now you have Philemon, who was the master, Onesimus, who was a slave. They are now brothers in Christ, along with Paul. Again, in the first century, there wasn't a whole lot of equality in the different classes. It's like, you're this, I'm this. Too bad. Paul's saying, look, you need to love this guy like a brother. Treat him better. Don't treat him like a slave. Don't do whatever you're doing or you were doing. Right? People who are your natural family may not be as close as your new siblings or spiritual parents in Christ if you have them. Because everyone is under the love and the lordship of Christ. And so, that is the most important change in your relationship. Right? You are, here, here's this one, that you are no longer at odds with God. Your relationship between where you are and where God is completely swaps. Because now you are no longer an enemy of God. You are now... On his side. And so there is no more guilt to carry. You don't have to run like you're a fugitive. Because you are now under God. You are under his protection. Right? Jesus makes it possible for you to leave the old person behind and become the new man or the new woman in him. And when that happens, your burden is lighter and you can carry on through life. Because as we see with Abraham and, and Paul, Paul, right, faith sustains you. So this last section is verses 30, 13 through 25. Paul brings in God's promise to Abraham. So again, we go back to understanding this. So God promised not only land, but descendants. So when Abraham got this calling and everything else, he was 60 years old when he heard the call. He was 175 years old when he died. He was about 100 when Isaac was born. So Abraham had to wait 40 years for him and Sarah to have a child. A lot of us don't want to wait 40 minutes for a sandwich, right? Or a movie or whatever. We, we want things now. We have Amazon Prime on the brain. I want to buy it and get it delivered with, by a robot right now. I don't want to go wait in line at the store either, so you got to hurry up and fix it. But Abraham was waiting 40 years before he saw the promise of descendants between him and, Abraham, him and Sarah fulfilled. That is a lot of promise. He had to be sustained by something, and he was sustained by God's promise. He had faith that God would fulfill that, that promise at some point. Now, he got impatient. You know, he ended up having uh, a child with, with Hagar. Right, we know that with Ish, well, he had Ishmael. We know he was trying to do things, and we do that. We, we like, I can't wait any longer. I gotta go do something. And that's just human nature because we want things the way we are, right? Again, Abraham wavered here and there. But Abraham was sustained by his faith. Right? He trusted God, he believed God. And so, Romans 4, verses 20 and 22, he says. Abraham did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Right? That's like the third time, at least, he's repeated that, used that phrase from Genesis. Right? He was, Abraham was fully convinced that God had promised that he was also able to do. That's what I said earlier, right? There's no point in following God if you don't think He can do stuff. 
If he just has a little bit more money than you do, then I really can just wait a little longer to earn more money and I can pay for it. But what God has, you cannot pay for. What God has, the power, the ability, everything he has at his fingertips, you do not have. I do not have. We do not have. He is able to fulfill it. And again, we saw with Isaac, he fulfilled that promise. In verse 18, in chapter 4, he says, Abraham believed, hoping against hope, so they, that he became the father of many nations. Again, he had hope. He had hope that God was going to do these things. And again, it's not the hope that I hope it's right, but it's the faith and the trust that he did it, that he was going to do it. And again, Paul is laying down trails that he's going to pick up later in chapter 5 that we'll do next week. But Paul is encouraging each of us to have hope, to have faith, to have trust in the Almighty. And we have to do that way. We, need to, we trust that God has a plan for us. He has a plan for the country. He has a plan for this whole world. And that plan will be better when it happens than we can make for ourselves. And so Luther had hope in God that, he could, that God would bring about the change. And so he posted the 95 Theses and he challenged Rome to, to debates. It wasn't, he didn't necessarily want to just break the church. He just wanted to fix some things. But we saw what happened. We know, we know that the rest is history, essentially. And again, the center of everything, the center of the gospel is that, this idea of justification by faith. And that Paul brings out, two of all places, the church at Rome. You know, the, the church at Rome would later become the center of power. So it's interesting that, that thousands of years before that, uh, Luther, or at least 500 or so years that Paul is writing the same message to that church. Right? Jesus himself says that eternal life is given to those who believe. Right? We have that Greek word pistos just says Abraham was granted to the promise because he believed the Greek word pistos. Abraham heard the promise and he believed and he, because he was, and he was given the promise. Right? It was fulfilled. Each of us who believes the gospel will now also have the promise of a new land and a new life. Right. Some of the new life takes place here on earth as we are changed because the faith changes us. We live a new life here as Christians. And we know that we will have a newer, newer life at the end times or when we pass away and we are, our spirit goes to heaven and everything else and until everything else happens, we have new lives. We have a new land. We are now in God's family. And so next week we're going to turn the record over to hear the second part of justification by faith, right? So even though sometimes, especially on records, they put the bad songs or the not-so-great songs on the B-side, these songs get better, right? Chapter 5 is probably like my favorite chapter of all, in all the Bible because it is all about hope. It's all about the righteous. It's all about the faith. What is the payoff? And it just keeps us going. Right? Because the faith that we have comes from God. It's a gift. And it gives us hope. And hope gives us perseverance to make it on this earth until we arrive in heaven. Because God gives us what we need to stay here in this world to do His work until we're called home. And that's the important part there. That, that should hopefully keep us going. So, so take heart and take rest in God's promise this week as we go out this week. Right? As we go out and live our lives. Take heart that God has given you the faith and given you the tools. All right, so as the band comes up, let's go ahead and transition. Sorry. <laughs> I should have timed a little better, I guess.